Hello, welcome to Episodes. My name is Jimmy Bowens, and today we will be talking to Mary O'Brien, Associate Principal of Korea International School in Jeju, South Korea. The topic we will be focusing on is COVID-19 and how the infection has forced Mary's school to enact a shutdown protocol. We discuss how Mary, her colleagues, students and community have worked together to keep the teaching and learning going. Mary shares some very sage advice for other educators who might be facing similar circumstances. And just before we begin, there's a little bit of housekeeping. During our interview, Mary was wearing some beautiful but slightly jangly bracelets. So just think of it as a musical accompaniment to the show. Okay, without further ado, I give you Mary O'Brien. Mary, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time uh, under the circumstances and hopefully we'll get into the details of what's going on and get some uh, an update from you. But I just want to first ask you if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself a little bit for our listeners. Sure. Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, I definitely appreciate it. I think communication is key in all areas, but especially when we're working as a global community to spread information and to support each other. Um, my name is Mary O'Brien Jones. I'm coming from originally Washington, D.C. area. Currently, I'm working at a private international school in South Korea, and I've been international since 2010. So Southeast Asia area. I myself worked and lived in South Korea also. Um, I, I worked in Daegu for a year and in uh, a town near Seoul called Pyeongtaek. I don't know if you know it. And uh, so I'm very familiar with the culture and, and the country itself. So it's, it's good to speak to a fellow teacher who's experiencing that. How, how long have you been in Korea? Sorry. I just joined my school this past July. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm coming from Bangkok previously and just got into a, a situation which is you never, never know what's going to happen. And it's really, really nice to have a community. And I think that's one of the things I like the most about where I'm working now. There's a great community supportive people. Right. And just for geographical kind of context here, Jeju is an island, right? Off the, off the South Coast. Is that right? Correct. So uh, we are about an hour flight to Seoul or half an hour flight to Busan. And we are an independent entity of sorts, still within the Korean country, but it's a self-governing province as well. Right. So um, let's get down to it. If you don't mind sharing some information about the situation at the moment, can you give us an update on what's going on with your school um, and what information have you got, if any, around the sort of timeline for the disruption? So a little bit of context um, and, and an update would be great. Well, looking at South Korea, uh, we are now as number three in the world, just surpassed by Italy. We have about 7,300 odd cases that are confirmed of COVID-19. And that number is slowing down, but still growing every day. Our school actually moved to virtual learning two weeks ago, beginning February 24th, based on recommendations from the Jeju Office of Education and then the Korean Ministry of Education. Uh, we have reassessed how we're working with our students. We've pulled every uh, break, long weekend, holiday, PD day into this current week so that we can give the kids two weeks of spring break, hoping that when we come back on March 23rd, <laughs> we will be able to come back to on-campus learning. But at this time, we have no indication whether or not that return in March will be face-to-face -face or virtual still. Of course, but you've got that buffer time planned to to help you set up 
that's a, that's a really good way to do it. So what level of infection is present in Jeju at the moment and, and how, to your knowledge, is it being dealt with? Well, we are actually very lucky. Uh, location is everything. Yeah. We have only four cases here down on the island. Uh, we're a small educational city. There's four schools here. There are about 4,000 students. The total population of Jeju is 600,000 roughly. So we have a very small percentage. But part of our response coming back from, we had our winter break and we're in school for about a week and a half. And that was when the news came out of China with the beginning of the spreading of COVID-19. And by the time we came back from the Lunar New Year break, it was obvious that we were going to have to do some sort of virtual learning coming up in the future. So we began with the students returning and everybody had mandatory masks they were wearing, temperature checks as students and teachers were coming onto campus every day. Anybody who had a temperature a little bit above normal were sent home pretty much. Half of our high school population are dorm students. So those students were quarantined until either A, they didn't have a fever or weren't displaying symptoms anymore, or B, until they were able to get sent home. So because we have a good percentage of our students living on campus, that was also another part of our holistic masks, temperature, follow-up. And just for precautionary measures, of course, but disinfecting everything, cleaning throughout the day, everybody gets the handles of all the buildings and doors, et cetera, wiped down. Um, We did a lot of continual disinfecting of the school buildings and also just trying to avoid high-risk areas, which is one of the tricky parts since we were at the time the second largest population of COVID-19. That must have been a very strange experience for you, given the amount of, I mean, you've been, it's fairly recent that you arrived in Korea. How did you feel when all of this started to kick off? Um, I, I'm a big proponent. Wash your hands, don't touch your face. Just basic hygiene. And this is a virus just like any other virus, whether it's the flu or H1N1 or SARS or MERS. There are viruses out there. The reason it's so scary is that it's a new one. And there's no vaccine or follow-up for it as of yet. Mm. So what level of preparation, to your knowledge, was in place for something like this, an event which would require possible closure, shutdown of the normal systems which school requires for teaching and learning? Was there any, anything in place at all like that, to your knowledge? We've had several virtual learning days when we had uh, typhoons or other weather-related circumstances. It was not a policy at that moment. We knew that we had a platform that we could use that would be functional, but there was nothing actually in writing about virtual learning policies until late January, early February this year. And we actually began preparing right after the Lunar New Year, watching the numbers rise. We put together based on a variety of already implemented policies and programs, what we thought would work best for our school. We used the G Suite, so Google Classroom and G Meet. All of those were part of what our plan was. We solicited feedback from the teachers. Will this work? Do you have other expectations? What are we missing? And we had a lot of good feedback from them. And then very, very shortly, we had to move into this long-term application of virtual learning. And what was great is that people were being flexible. They were working with us. We've made several upgrades with feedback from stakeholders along the way. Uh, the, really, the best preparation was everybody in our, our community, our teachers and the families, were all very, very dedicated to making this a positive experience for our students. 
and flexible because we've had to adapt and improve and adjust as we see what is working or not. And, you know, we have a huge thank you to go out to Education Perfect One, but many, many companies have shown uh, their support. They've offered free subscriptions for um, Edpuzzle, VoiceThread, Screencastify, as I said, Education Perfect. And our teachers and students are just, they're very grateful for that continued support because we are navigating this unanticipated change in how we are teaching and how we're learning. So to have those platforms has made a huge difference. And it's been very, very helpful as we transition into the virtual learning. Yeah, I feel looking ahead. I mean, obviously, we, we want to pay very close attention to the situation as it unfolds. But one takeaway for the moment is that it does um, provoke some discussion around teaching and learning systems, the logistics, the traditional methods, the, 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 um, the way we rely on schools. And it's uh, some very interesting topics coming out um, Around it's that. definitely interesting because it's a whole other pedagogy. If you looked at the, how teaching and learning works in a flipped classroom where students are expected to you know, do the readings and understand the concepts and come in questions, that is very much how we're looking at it. We do have you know, live video lessons during our class times and the students are doing work at home. They're supposed to be coming in with, I'm not sure about this. Can you explain that to me more? I got stuck on this problem, but you can't you can't switch everybody's pedagogy overnight. It's a continual learning process for many of our teachers who haven't been familiar with the idea of a flipped classroom or the independent, intrinsic motivation of kids. And it, it varies from you know elementary all the way up through high school, what they're able to do independently. And you have to plan for that. How did you first react? And what measures were taken to ensure disruption to the learning is, is minimal? It was a steep learning curve, which is absolutely true for anything that's, that's new and coming in. Communication was absolutely a, a key to helping make this more effective. And when we received notification from the Jeju Office of Education, it was at one o'clock in the morning. Well, we had, they had met prior that same day and said, nope, we're still going to school on Monday. And then the edict came out at 1 a.m. Two of our schools in our community sent messages to families at 2 a.m. Uh, our school and another school sent messages at 6-something to notify the families and the students what was going on. Uh, our local families who have their families here were asked to stay home and wait for the first learning task to come out. And we were working with all of our boarding students to contact their parents and arrange flights and then send them back to the mainland because it... You know, many of our families are coming from Seoul or Busan, those areas. And every teacher reached out to their students to let them know what was happening, what to expect based on the first draft of our virtual learning policy. We've been reaching out to ed other educational providers for support, collaborating with colleagues around the world who had been in this experience and have learned already through trial and error what's working and not and gathered their recommendations. We moved into a, a combination of pre-recorded lessons, live video conferencing, collaborative responses. And we're offering opportunity for asynchronous and synchronous learning opportunities, but trying to be flexible for the students as they settle back in and begin set up because they're teleworking is what they're doing. And that's not something that's a norm for this age group. Even though we all as adults had done, you know, digital learning or distance learning, we know we're assigned a reading, we do it, we write a response on it. Somebody comments on our response, we comment back on others, then we submit our own independent work. That is the format most adults are familiar with for distance learning, but that doesn't necessarily work for children. You have to have part of that interaction live, face-to-face, -face, let me hear your voice, 
that's a whole other part of our classroom. And setting up expectations for parents was also very important because many of these families were not anticipating having their kids home all day. It was, you know, it, many people go to work and the parents who are at home are, they have other things that they have on their schedules. So that was an adaptation that we worked with them on, making sure your child has a quiet place to work, that there's connectivity that they can work on. Talk to them. What is their schedule for the day? What are they going to learn? What did you do next? All right, so now what's your assignment for tonight? And these are the normal conversations parents have with their children, but it takes a whole nother perspective when you are actually the one who is watching them interact and when you are following up with them because they haven't had that in-class experience. But it's a great opportunity for parents and students to become more independent, more responsible for their own learning and active participants in the learning process. I really appreciate the positive note you've recognized there. I think that that's hugely impactful. And the fact that when learning is disrupted like this, we have to teach new cognitive skills to deal with the, the change in environment as you've described. And um, yeah, that's, that, that is a really great way to look at it. It's a very, a very healthy perspective. It's a gift in some ways because we all get to learn how our process works the areas that we're stronger in and the areas that we can continue to improve. And that's something that many kids sitting in the classroom aren't necessarily challenged to do because they have somebody who's walking right by them or next to them and following up with those questions. But distance-wise, you can pose a question, but the students are the ones who have to come forward and say, I really don't understand, or can you explain this further? I got stuck doing this. That's a whole other level of ability to self-reflect and then verbalize where you're having problems. So how's everything going at the moment with regard to the teaching and the learning and meeting the objectives and adapting? I know that you've, you've mentioned you've got that buffer of time. So I guess we're talking about your internal communication and your professional support for your colleagues and yep. uh, teachers. How's all that going? We did two full weeks of virtual learning and every day it got better as we were, you know, reflecting what was productive and moving forward and what areas we could improve on. Uh, by the time we got to this past Friday, a couple of days ago, the kids were in a routine. They knew what was to be expected. They knew when to show up, when to check in, how to check in, what kind of interaction for that class, whether it was a live video or um, responding to peers or partners or an assignment with mini conferences with their teachers. They knew now I have to be here at this time. I'm expected to do this. And they've just gotten to the swing of things. Because virtual learning uh, was new and our, our, the cultural perspective is that it is not an authentic learning experience, which is, thing, which is something we are working to better communicate. The parents and uh, the Office of Education here asked that we pull spring break forward in order to hope that we can come back to on-campus learning in the near future. Having said that, I think that as we went through those two weeks, the parents did realize, oh yes, my child really is learning. They are doing something. They are producing work. They're showing growth. It's just not something they'd been exposed to as an authentic form of education in the past. So we, we worked to reflect on what we we're doing. We asked for information from parents, from students, from teachers. We took polls. And now we have a lot of great positive feedback saying that the digital learning and these, these platforms are effective. And one clear explanation we keep 
is really just keep it simple. Communicate with our students, scaffold the lessons, provide continual feedback. And everybody, students, teachers, parents, are reflecting on what's going on because we have a goal, a common goal, and we're trying to get better every day. And some, some of our assignments the kids are working on are moving more toward that project-based learning. And it mirrors best practices when it comes to good teaching about continuing to follow up and, and converse about the progress you're making. But really, the, the kids miss being here and we miss having our kids here. And that's part of the community that is such a great, great support. As I said, I really, really like where I am because we have an amazing community. Um, parents, students, teachers, administration, everybody is working. And they're working really, really hard to keep a positive focus, a goal-oriented for our kids so they can be more effective no matter where they are. And keeping that structure, uh, standard check-in, check-out procedures, gives the kids the ability to step in and then also take responsibility for themselves of how they're participating and you know working with the teacher for support for each of their classes. Can I ask a, just a logistic question around that check-in, check-out and the interaction that is required of the teachers, they miss their students, as you said, they want to communicate with them. Can, can you just describe what that looks like practically? It depends on the class and on the teacher. Uh, part of our virtual learning policy is that each student needs to check in for their classes because we have, we have a rotating block schedule normally. The current schedule is one, two, three, four on one day and five, six, seven, eight on the next, and they just continue that rotation. So there is, instead of being 80-hour blocks as normal, there's an hour class and 15 minutes between class where they're continuing follow-up or check-ins. The students all have to present themselves at the beginning of class. Many teachers are just doing, whether it's with Zoom or Gmeet, a video conference. They're saying, hi, we're here. This is what we're learning about today. And they're doing the same thing they do in the classroom, but just via video. Other ones may pre-record a lesson, have a check in the beginning, say, watch the lesson. I'm here as you get stuck. Check in with me. I'm going to pull out small groups and have either um, small conference chats or video chats because we, you know, you know your kids and you know your students and their areas of strength and you want to see how you can support them in this different learning environment. And it, it also has the opportunity for kids to reach out to their teachers while this class is going on or the video is being presented and send them messages on the side. I saw that you did this. I didn't understand how can you go back to it? And that allows that real, real-time interaction, which I think many of our kids benefit from. Of course. Yeah, that's great. Um, what kind of guidance and advice would you offer to any other school leaders who are now faced with the proposition of school closure due to this virus? For, I mean... Obviously, today, the big news was Italy. Um, it's, it's getting very serious there. Um, we know there is talk in Australia and New Zealand. Um, so would you mind just uh, offering some advice? I'm sure we have listeners here now who are really, really nervous about this whole situation. Well, I will say my, my big thing, of course, for all of our students, teachers, and anyone, anywhere, wash your hands, don't touch your face. That's the best way to stay healthy. And um, when you're looking at trying to create and follow up on a virtual learning platform, you have to be flexible. You have to be patient. Keep it simple. Stick to a schedule. Communicate. That is actually probably the biggest one. Communicate with your parents. Communicate with your teachers. Communicate with your students. And work to collaborate because sometimes our teachers have different levels of comfortability uh, with what's going on in this digital world. This is unprecedented, right? We've been pushed into this next generation of learning. This will be the new normal for our students' students, their children, and what they're doing. 
we are pioneering a world that the majority of our teachers have immigrated into and our students are the digital natives. We are continuing to work together. We have to learn from each other at each opportunity. So when you're creating a digital or a virtual learning policy at your school, keep it clean and clear. Communicate transparently. Thank everybody. Thank every single person who has tirelessly supported the students and the program. And I, I'm a big believer. Like We are all one huge team. And it really does take a village to raise a child. So again, I'm so lucky where I am, where we have a village working together. And just remember that we are one big family. We're all working together and keep going from there. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, what do you see? Obviously, uh, this is a difficult question to consider because of the unknowns that we have to uh, recognize here. But what do you see as the biggest challenge or biggest challenges if the closure is enforced over a long period of time? And of course, long is subjective. But uh, if you know what I mean, if, if, if it appears as if it's continuing to go on months uh, mm -hmm. after this. Well, I will say that this is an opportunity and every opportunity is going to present challenges or obstacles for you to overcome. And education, sure, in the 1900s was preparing kids, students to sit in rows in factories and produce. And that is how many of the classrooms are set up. Maybe not in our school, but in many schools around the world. But education is not just about reading and memorizing and regurgitating. Today, we can all at our fingertips look up data and statistics. It's how you can synthesize and analyze and apply those that's going to make the difference. It, it doesn't always show understanding just be able to tell the data itself or the numbers, but being able to collaborate with people to apply this in real world scenarios. Uh, staying virtual will not keep our teachers from giving you know, authentic learning experiences. One of our current struggles, a lot of the feedback we've gotten from teachers is, I don't know how to assess. Sure, I can do those you know, exit cards or I can do a one question quiz or a timed five question you know, check. But what about those summatives? How can I ensure academic integrity while kids are sitting at home with access to all the information? And how am I going to know that they are actually learning this information? And the teachers are putting extensive time and energy into making these authentic and meaningful learning experiences for our kids. And we're trying to think outside the box for assessment. How can each child apply this in their own unique manner? How can I tell it's my students' authentic work? And when I'm looking at a hundred different presentations or projects, how am I going to be able to give feedback on all these different types of things? We're looking at external assessments also. That is a huge discussion point. We have about 350 AP exams coming up in, in May. And AP is offering us to work with us, except for the solution is not feasible. You can't have 350 exams. And some students are taking three and four tests from two weeks pushed down into three days. Their tests overlap. There are multiple exams on the same period. I mean, it's just there's so many questions. So those external assessments, the SATs that we're supposed to be given here next week, actually well, the 14th, so in a couple of days, got pushed back to the end of March and then got officially canceled. So it's not just our internal summatives that, that are not going to be happening currently. We have to really work on preparing our kids to be successful for those, whether it's the AP exams or our own summatives, we're, we're trying to make sure our classes have a positive class climate. They are supporting the students. And it's not just educationally, but, you know, social, emotionally. Without the physical presence in our school, the students 
you know, they, they want to come to class and hang out with their friends and talk about this and get feedback from their teacher and have somebody smile and say, hey, nice to see you today. That's the community that we're building. Yes, the videos do provide like some pictures and face-to-face and a voice, and that will have to do for now. Um, I, I'm not a digital native, and I'm working with our, our students and our teachers to create the best first step into this opportunity because the face-to-face collaboration or socialization you get in a classroom is very hard to recreate virtually. Um, we're encouraging our teachers, our students, all, and our parents all to prioritize that human connection and you know, reminding them we are a family. We're all working to the same goal. We want to support our students to be successful today, tomorrow, and also into whatever future they can imagine for themselves. We have to give a huge shout out. Thank you to every single student, every single parent, every single teacher, staff member, business owner, the health workers, the government employees. Everybody is working and very focused. They're being flexible. They're being patient. They're, they're very helpful for the program because we know that we all need to be safe. And healthy and safety are two things you can't throw out the window. You can't teach a child if they're not feeling safe. And we can't keep moving forward until we've made sure that we do have uh, that supportive environment. For you guys with Education Perfect, we are humbled by your support and your understanding and the fact that you believe in, in us and our students and their ability to keep working and moving forward every day. Because we, we need to be our best selves and looking at the changes that we're adapting to, that's just a step in the right direction. And every day you take one step and it may be a misstep and you redirect and you come back but we are still moving forward with our education and with students' ability to progress. And we just need to stay healthy, be safe. And one good thing to remember is that you can't control other things, right? You can choose how you want to respond to them. And our big voice for our students is we believe in you and continue. And we will also do the same. You know, speaking and and actions go hand in hand, but be the change that you want to see in the world. Thank you to Gandhi, who, who encourages all of us to, to be our best selves. And this is an opportunity. Yes, it's a challenge. It's an opportunity to take that next step, the next question of what could be with our virtual learning. So hopefully we all learn a lot from it and can implement even aspects of this as we're doing our normal back on campus. We don't know when and we don't know how, but we will continue and keep going. That's the other recommendation I have. Stay positive. Yes, thank you for sharing that. That was really nice to hear. And and I, again, I just, it's very refreshing to hear a positive measured voice uh, dealing with the situation strategically. Um, And what's coming through, Mary, is that the communication is so vital. And of course, we're talking about your situation with your school. And, And that's the context for this discussion, but it is not an isolated thing the ripple effects of this as you mentioned you have to communicate with the wider community everybody's involved we're all in this together and to uh to focus and emphasize that unifying effect i think is the right way to communicate about this and and we solve problems and we're creative and uh, you've certainly expressed that beautifully so thank you for for sharing that Thank you very much for checking in with me and i do think that our administration is is learning just as much, if not more, as our students are about how to work together, collaborate, plan, adapt. So we all get lessons every day. Yeah, yeah. We are uh, here at EP, we, we are learning as well. We're learning a lot about 
um, this new context for for what we do, what we provide. It's been fascinating to see where we can be useful and supportive, and it's also had a huge effect on, on how we look at the the facility we design. Because, um, uh, as you mentioned before, you, you can't predict these type of things, so it, it does force you into thinking differently about learning. So I. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for your openness and um, the way that you've expressed this. Uh, there's a lot of advice here for our listeners to, to take on board. I welcome any other advice you'd like to share back with me. <laughs> I'm always open to feedback and recommendations. And if they have anything to share, I'm more than happy to share what we have here. And I know that if we all put our heads together, we can definitely move forward and find some great solutions. Yes. So listeners out there, if you do want to get in touch and provide some time, we're very happy to provide a platform to talk through this and to um, to work together. As, as Mary has just said, that it's a really great idea. And I'm sure we'll have we'll have more discussions with more educators in similar situations as as things progress. Hopefully the messages will be positive and constructive. Um, is there any, if you wouldn't mind, is there a way that um, other teachers and school administrators could get in touch with you if they want to ask you any questions or? Sure. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn and uh, you're welcome to contact me through there and we can have a conversation. Many, many other educators are sharing their information and suggesting ideas following up with good comments and recommendations, which makes it even easier for us to, to collaborate. It's another virtual platform. It yes. may not be quite as uh, interactive as what we're looking at for our students, but as adults, we do very well in uh, creating that platform and getting feedback and responding to those ideas. Um, my LinkedIn should be Mary O'Brien at I guess LinkedIn. I yeah, I'll put to... the link in the show notes. So if anybody wants to get in touch, they can click that and uh, communicate. Thank you so much, Mary. It's been wonderful listening to you and, and, and getting that very professional overview of how, how you're handling it. And, and I hope you uh, you can still at least enjoy the kimchi and um, all of the wonderful food over there. I, I miss it dearly. Jimmy, it's been really nice chatting with you and I, I'm sure we'll stay in contact. That just because there is um, some excitement going on in the world, it doesn't mean you can't appreciate the, the little flavors and the little views you get. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, this one of the great things about my job is I get to talk to people like you and make these connections, which are very enriching. And absolutely, I would love to catch up again and we'll keep in touch and we'll monitor the situation. And of course, we as a company, as education provider, uh, EP is here for you. Like we will absolutely listen and try to do what we can to support you. So thank you very much. And a big thanks to everybody in the EP family. I will pass that on gladly. Thank you for listening to another show of episodes. If you would like to get in touch with us regarding any of the issues raised in this episode, please join our LinkedIn group, Teaching and Learning in the Digital Age. I'd like to thank our wonderful producer, Paula Prouse, and our amazing editor, Yasmin Nowak. So until next time, stay happy and keep learning.